All right. Thank you so much for joining me again, guys. I have a very special guest here, Carrie Rinker, who's an attorney that I have worked with on several cases and who's absolutely awesome. Um, Carrie, why don't you go about uh, telling us about yourself? All right. Well, Carrie Rinker, Rinker Law. I have sort of a hybrid of law practice. I do a lot of family and matrimonial law. Um, that takes up the, the big part of my law practice. But I also do food and agriculture law for my special um, secret sauce there. So I have a hybrid. And my office is here in Midtown Manhattan, 44th and 5th Avenue. And I also have a satellite office in Central Illinois. Which is awesome. Yeah, you, you mentioned, I think, in the recent blog post that you're trying to build up the uh, Central Illinois uh, office. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I grew up you know, there on a farm, actually, in a small town in Central Illinois. So I have a lot of family there. And of course, you know, there's a lot of agriculture in the Midwest. So I am trying to go ahead and grow that up as well. Okay. Don't leave New York, though. <laughs> okay. New York is awesome. Um, so I just want to deep dive a little bit into a couple quick topics. Uh, at the intersection of divorce and real estate, because a lot of my clients actually talk to me about that. Um, a lot of couples that are divorcing, a lot of people that are buying have several questions about it. So I did want to talk to you about that a little bit. So I want to go straight into it. Can you talk about a typical scenario where a husband and a wife own an apartment through joint tenancy? What would happen? Maybe we could talk about joint tenancy a little bit and what, what would that be defined as? And then what would happen to that apartment um, if it's subject to a divorce itself. Can you walk me through those steps? Okay. So when a couple owns an apartment together, the very first question that the court is going to look into is, was the property premarital or was it purchased during the marriage? If it was purchased premarital, then a portion of that property is, would be considered in whoever's name it was purchased in. It could also be premarital, and the two people actually purchased it together in joint name, um, premarital. In that instance, it would be considered joint property. Um, if the property was purchased after the date of the marriage, then there's a presumption that the property then would be marital. To back up, just to illustrate this, sure. everything in a marriage fits into one of three buckets. So each there's each partner has their own um, bucket of separate property, and then there's the marital property bucket. And so the marital property bucket is what gets equitably divided um, in a divorce. So in terms of um, dividing, let's say that there is a, an apartment that's owned, like they own a condominium together, and let's say that that was purchased during the marriage then the court is going to say that the equity that's in that home is marital. In New York, we are an equitable distribution state, and equitable in New York does not necessarily mean equal. So we're not a community property state. We don't divide things 50-50. There's a list of factors that the court considers in deciding what is equitable. The length of the marriage is certainly you know, one of the factors that the court can so for longer marriages, it's going to err more on the side of 50-50. For shorter marriages, the courts are really going to take consideration of other factors. Okay. And can you talk about how that differs from tenancy or tenants in common? Because my clients constantly ask about that as well. Yeah. So you know, as you know, in a marriage, they can title the property in either way. And it doesn't really matter for in terms of looking at the marital versus separate property on how the property is titled. You know, in fact, 
property could be titled in just one person's name and the entire property can be considered marital property. All income after the date of the marriage by law is considered marital, um, marital property unless it's derived from some kind of a separate property source or unless there is a prenuptial agreement that says otherwise. Okay. Having, having said all these things, is there anything, and this is another question that, that constantly comes to me uh, from clients, are, are there anything that couples can really do to prepare themselves when buying a home? Um, would a prenup work in these scenarios? So what's, what sort of best practice that you see when, you know, when, when people want to go into these transactions? All right. So a couple things. First and foremost, I absolutely think that prenups are prudent. And if they're already married, then try to consider a post-functional agreement. The reason why I say that is, remember that the law in New York is equitable, not equal. And I can tell you that I have personally been involved in cases where people have spent a whole heck of a lot of money fighting over what exactly is equitable. When the two people, while they have a good relationship, can sit down and decide what they think is fair in a particular situation. So I definitely think that that is a really great way to go about things, not only on deciding how to divide that property, but also the breakup procedures. What I mean by that is who's moving out, how are we going to pick a broker, is a property going to be sold, or are we going to give each other option periods to buy each other out? So that's another um, issue that could, could be brought up. If the couple is not interested in a prenup or a post-nuptial agreement, then they should also consider perhaps who is paying money for the purchase price, the down payment of the, um, the property, or in addition to closing costs versus who's paying the mortgage. There's oftentimes a credit that's given for the person who is um, paying for down payment, not necessarily a credit for the person who's paying the mortgage. Okay. Do you, like a side, I guess a side question is, are these conversations horribly awkward for people to have? Do they, like, how do you, how do you actually tell, um, you know, two people that are about to get married or are married and now have property, how do you tell them, how do you sort of push them along to have these conversations? Because in, in my experience, and I'm sure in yours, these things, to do this immediately and at the start saves just a boatload of money. Nobody listens, um, or at least most people don't listen, and they get into litigation that ends up costing a lot of money. Are there any tips that you have that, you know, couples should use when or if they, they want to sit down and start talking about these things? Because again, this makes such a huge difference in how long litigation lasts and the divorce um, and, and how well things go. Yeah, absolutely. It's very interesting to me when people come into my office for a consultation for a prenuptial agreement. Uh, you'd be surprised how many people come into my office and they have no idea the finances of the person that they're about ready to marry, yeah. you know, what their credit is like, what their assets and the debt, what the salary that they have. And it concerns me a little bit, you know, as the lawyer, um, you know, how much financial transparency is really taking place. And um, I find that just going through the prenuptial negotiation process that the couple has, they're having a lot of tough conversations, but they're better off on the other end because they've had to get 
quote unquote financially naked and talk about those tough issues. So even if they're not wanting to put something in writing, I do think that couples are always better off if they're able to really sit through, talk through the finances and how they would handle things in the case of, you know, a divorce. I mean, that's the analogy that I like to use is that nobody gets on the airplane thinking that it's going to crash, but you still go over the safety instructions. And I feel the same way about a prenuptial agreement or a postnuptial agreement. It's just the safety instructions in case of a crash, right? Yeah, and I think that the, the, the bigger difference is that 50% of planes don't crash. So it's, right. it, it's definitely something. I think it's a, it's a great analogy and something to, to keep in mind when it comes to these things because, again, I see it on, on the back end a lot where couples are now at war. Um, and had they gone to a divorce attorney and had they sat down um, with someone and said, all right, this is the way we're going to split these things off, that's a huge headache that's now gone, right? Because those things are determined as it is. So. Right. You don't you don't really have a whole lot to fight about at that point. Prenuptial agreements can't talk about kids for the for the exception of the religion that they want to raise the children. Right. So that might really be the only thing left to sort of quote unquote fight about. But you know, the hope is is the prenup will cover the economic issues, including real estate issues. Got it. All right. And and lastly, um, I always ask attorneys that I work with for war stories. We you know we always have them, we always share them at events. So let me let me ask you some of the craziest sort of scenarios that you've been involved in when it comes to this stuff. Yeah, I've had a few interesting ones. Uh, and it's funny, I'm actually watching Divorce on HBO. <laughs> and it's reminding me of a few different things. You know, I've had some cases where there have been illegal lockouts. You know, you can't really lock out yourself you know, without court order. And I have had a, a situation before where one of the spouses um, was a hoarder, and there actually had to be court order move out that took several days. It was uh, very emotionally traumatic. Somebody from the court actually had to go and observe the move out. So. Wow. Yeah, I that that's typically you see in divorce. You see a lot of these kind of crazy scenarios. So uh, I'm sure you've seen a lot in your uh, in your years of practice. Never a dull moment. In Never a dull world. moment. Where where do people find you, Karen? Well, uh, my website is www.rinkerlaw.com, spelled R-I-N-C-K-E-R-L-A-W.com. I also wrote a book on New York Family Law and Divorce, and you can check that book out on Amazon.com as well. What's it called? It's called Onward and Upward, Guide to New York Divorce and Family Law Issues. I love it, Carrie. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Thanks for having me. Talk soon.